Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. If, if you're looking for one thing that I think might be the most beneficial uh, in terms of the 2021 regular season out of minicamp and OTAs, it is that Matt Ryan and Kyle Pitts are able to work together with each other a lot, maybe even more so as far as like looks his way, et cetera, et cetera, because Calvin Ridley wasn't there. Russell yeah. Gage wasn't there. I did not see Hayden Hurst there today. So, like you, you get more of those reps. And I think that that is probably pretty beneficial for Kyle Pitts. What's up, everybody? And welcome to a new edition of Believe in Falcons. I am your host, Will McFadden. You can follow me on Twitter at Will McFadden. And we've got a fun show uh, for you guys today. It, we're going to talk with ESPN reporter Michael Rothstein, who covers the Falcons now for ESPN, uh, taking Vaughn McClure's uh, position. He and I will talk a little bit about you know what Vaughn means to both he and I, uh, having the opportunity to have met Vaughn uh, several times and and I got to work closely with him while he was covering the Falcons. And so we'll talk a little bit about that. And then we're going to obviously dive into some Falcons conversation. And with minicamp and OTAs wrapping up, OTAs finished today, minicamp uh, concluded last week, but just his observations being there, seeing the team uh, in practice, in person for the first time, you know, and his experience coming down from Detroit, what are the similarities and differences between the way these two organizations do things in practice? So I'm really excited for that conversation. It's it's going to be a lot of fun. Michael's a great guy. And I'm going to have a cold open for you guys here in a minute uh, with some thoughts that I've been just kind of dwelling on with with as it pertains to Arthur Smith. Uh, but first, the month of June is heating up with a ton of exciting sports action. And Bet Online is where you can find it. From basketball and hockey playoffs to baseball's marquee matchups, including prop bets and futures, Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and information for your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive a 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next tip off, face off, or pitch, head on over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online. Your online sportsbook experts. All right, boom! First ad read, people. What's up? This podcast is going places. Uh, all right, so uh, my thoughts today on on Arthur Smith. Really, two things because looking and seeing the way that he's constructed his mini camp so far and, and OTAs and just some of the comments and quotes really made me think about his unique ability to come in and implement a, a new culture and a new way of doing things and. What I mean by unique is he was with the Tennessee Titans for three or four different regimes, and that's really rare. It is not common that when a, a coaching change takes place at the top, that guys from the previous regime were, were kept in place. And uh, coaches like to bring in guys that they worked with previously, guys that they've coached against, and they know how difficult it is to coach against that certain guy, and they like to have their own guys. You know, it's... Not, not shocking that somebody would want to put their own fingerprint on an organization. But Arthur Smith was so well regarded while he was in Tennessee that he stayed around with a bunch of different head coaches, you know, Mike Vrabel being the most recent example. And so he got to see how these new coaches, how each new head coach sought to implement their kind of way of doing things and, and their culture. And 
he got to see which ones worked, which ones didn't. And, you know, th- that would be a question that that I would ask him myself. And Michael and I will get into this a little bit later. But just how did that experience and, and how did seeing, you know, what what worked, what didn't, how is that informing the way that he's doing things here in Atlanta? You have to assume that if nothing else, it could only be helpful. I don't think it could be harmful because, again, you got to see what worked and what didn't. And so you can talk to the players, you can talk to those other coaches and kind of figure out what each of the best parts of those regimes were to now put in place here. And I I think that that's a really interesting way to go about it. And it's clear that Arthur seems to, you know, well, he definitely has a plan. (laughs) Arthur came in here and spoke with Arthur Blank and, and told him what that plan would be. Here's how I'm going about doing things. And it's no secret. Tennessee has had a lot of success in a, in a pretty tough and talented AFC. And sure, they you know haven't made it to the Super Bowl, but they've been in the playoffs, you know, basically under Mike Vrabel over the past few seasons. And you would have to think that that Arthur Smith is going about doing some of the things in very similar ways where he saw the success actually manifest itself on the field there in Tennessee. But another thing that he's really been doing, or at least has kind of seemed like a theme with his mini camp was that it was just an extension of the OTA process. And the OTA process is much lighter in terms of the physical demand and toll on a player. And it's a lot more mental. It's a lot more installs. We're going to do walkthroughs. We're going to question the players uh, a lot and really stress how well they know everything before then you know, at, at minicamp, that's typically the time when you start running things closer to full speed and you start getting a little more competitive. Well, it seems like that wasn't necessarily what the Falcons were solely focused on doing. Was It, it was more still the mental side of things than it was the physical side. And I, I think that's, you know, not, not a strange approach in any way, shape or form, but it seems like even a better one now that we live in an era where there are 17 games. And one of the things that both Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot talked about right from the jump in their opening press conference, there was a, a through line of players get hurt throughout the season and you don't build a roster based around your best players. You build a roster really with depth in mind and understanding, okay, this year we're going to lose a starting offensive lineman. We're going to lose one of our corners. You know, we're going to we're going to lose, you know, basically anywhere outside of quarterback, you want to have contingency really built in because if you lose your quarterback, that's kind of the end of your year anyway. I think that the approach and maybe taking making it a little less taxing physically for these guys at this time of the year is probably a smart one. You know, players get hurt all the time in minicamp during times when they really should you wouldn't think that they should be getting hurt. Look at the San Francisco 49ers. Two guys go on the IR the very first day of minicamp. And that's how you lose a season is getting these guys hurt but months before it actually ever means anything. And so I think that Arthur Smith is very cognizant of that. And yes, there are some guys who are, are dinged up right now. You know, Calvin Ridley notably is dealing with a, a problem um, and was not at minicamp. But by and large, it looks like he's trying to keep his guys healthy while focusing on getting them to really learn and nail down exactly how he does things, how a new coaching staff operates. And it's a learning period for all parties involved. And I, th- I think that's smart. You know, there's not much that you can really learn from minicamp. 
the biggest takeaway is to get out of it healthy. And I like that approach that Arthur Smith has, has taken. And now let's get to my conversation with Michael, where we will talk a lot more about the approach that Arthur Smith has taken. Michael Rothstein, ESPN reporter who now covers the Atlanta Falcons after covering the Detroit Lions for a long time, joins me. You know, Michael, thank you so much for doing this. How, how are you? Uh, I'm doing well. So I don't know when this podcast is coming out, but it is Monday in, in the time when we're recording this. I just got back a few hours ago from the last OTA that they had. And I have learned that Southern heat, Atlanta heat, is, is not like heat that I'm used to. Uh, I, I mean, I put, this is probably TMI for your listeners, but like, I, <laughs> I put my, like, I was, I put my like arms on my pant, like on my shorts mm-hmm. and I was just sweating so much. Like it looked like they, they changed color. I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> this was, and it really felt like today was the first day. Today that, was brutal. Today was that brutal I, that I was like, okay, so this Southern, like the, the, the difference in heat, the difference in sun is something that I was not uh, accustomed to. I feel like I'm slowly learning the ways here, but I'm making a whole bunch of like lived in Michigan and New York uh, <laughs> for most of my life mistakes very, very quickly. Uh, luckily, where I live has a pool and I try to take advantage of that as much as I can. There you go. Yeah, it's I mean, it's almost kind of a cliche at this point, but it, it definitely is the humidity adds to the to the heat because then it when it's oh, yeah. it just feels wet and sticky outside and it just amplifies everything. But we're glad to have you down here in Atlanta now and in, in uh, soaking all of that up with us. But obviously, the circumstances that bring you down here were pretty tough. Um, having worked alongside Vaughn for for four years, you know, I got to know him really well. One of just the nicest, most sincere people that, that you'll ever meet. Um, I know Vaughn means a lot to you as well. Uh, so, you know, how are you settling in here in Atlanta and, and kind of helping usher in the next chapter of ESPN's Falcons coverage? Uh, yeah, you know, I think I'm settling in. All right. Uh, getting, getting used to the heat and getting yeah. used to the traffic, uh, because this is, this is not traffic like anything I experienced except really on the LIE as a kid growing up on Long Island, which, you know, the LIE is no joke either. Yeah. Uh, but largely, yeah, I mean, I think I'm settling in well, you know, just sitting on, you know, you were out there for years, like, you know, like on the top of the hill watching OTAs. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, this year specifically a little bit different because I think people took voluntary to really mean voluntary. and didn't show mm-hmm. up, uh, which We'll get into that in a little bit later, but uh, you did mention Vaughn. I want to kind of maybe start there just a little bit. Vaughn meant a ton to me uh, personally, professionally. Uh, Amazing guy. I've thought about him a lot in the last Mm -hmm. few months ever since this kind of uh, came up as a possibility to move down here. And then I decided to do it. And then I was flying down here a couple of times to look at places and, when I moved down here last month, you know, I started thinking about Vaughn a lot more even than, than I had in a few months prior. And uh, for your listeners, I, I think I told this story on, on the Falcoholic podcast and I've told it on a couple other podcasts uh, like in Detroit and, and whatnot before I left. 
it, Vaughn, Vaughn's a big reason why I'm still in this business. We were covering Notre Dame together and, and I was pretty much ready to pack it in. I was not making a ton of money and, uh, yeah, I mean, that's journalism, but like, I was really like, I was, I wasn't just not, not, it was, I was not happy with the trajectory of my career, even though I was covering Notre Dame and I was very fortunate to be, to do, be doing what I was doing. And I just was frustrated. And, yeah. uh, I started looking at jobs outside of journalism and uh, I remember talking to Vaughn and, uh, Vaughn was one of the people who was like, no, man, you, you're, you're good at this, like stay in it. And, and was really at a time when I needed some assurance and needed some anything really uh he, he provided that he was you know i got so much better uh competing against vaughn on the notre dame beat i mean mm. like he outs uh, i'll never forget this like it was like one of the first major stories i'd broken on on notre dame and he saw his paper somehow had that scoop that i had crediting my paper before we published it <laughs> wow no, that, that, was, that was largely because of my, you know, the, the, the situation at my, where I was working, like they, they were slow to kind of get it up, whatever. And, but yeah. And I was like, that's incredible. Oh, okay. Like this is, so this is how this is going to go. Right. But no, he, he was, he, it's still weird saying was, um, yeah. Unbelievable, man. Uh, I know I have big shoes to fill coming in. I was actually talking to a former Falcons player today and, and we were talking a little bit about Vaughn and, uh, I had said the same thing to him as cliche just, as it is. It, it is true because Vaughn knew everybody was respected by everybody and did such an amazing job covering the Falcons before that covering the bears. And, you know, we're going way back to covering, you know, Fresno back in the day that he, he set a very high standard and one that every day I kind of try to remind myself, okay, I want to live up to this. Now, you know, Vaughn and I cover a beat differently. Like, yeah. I mean, that's just, but I think a lot of people cover beats differently than, than anyone else. So I'm going to bring a different type of coverage maybe than Vaughn did, but understand Vaughn, Vaughn's reporting was unbelievable. And mm-hmm. it's something that I strive to, to do every day and to uh, try and, and live up to. And I realized like, you know, that's, that's kind of just what, uh, you know, if I'm having a few more pregnant pauses in here, it's because <laughs> I'm trying to, you know, choose my words right. Because, uh, you know, Vaughn, Vaughn means a lot. And uh, I, I mentioned this to your, I would mention this to your listeners now, like there's the Vaughn McClure Foundation, if you're not familiar with it, yes. uh, they're raising money uh, to, in Vaughn's name, for Vaughn's legacy uh, in Chicago high schools at Northern Illinois University, where he went. So, if you are looking for something nice to do, if you happen to, because it's, you know, 400 degrees outside and, and so you're not going to get to spend any money, like by going out anywhere and you're, you've got an extra 20 bucks lying around and you want to give it to something, a good cause. And you like Vaughn's coverage or you, you know, like Vaughn or you like me right now. And, <laughs> uh, you know, go and go and donate to the Vaughn McClure foundation and, and let's uh, keep Vaughn's memory alive you know, by helping young journalists and, and helping young people in general, because he cared so much about that and was so big on, on trying to pay it forward as I know, you know, Will, and yeah. so many other people and so many other journalists can speak to, uh, and just people can speak to that. That's just to me, so much of what Vaughn brought. And I, I miss the guy all the time. And yeah. uh, I've said this a lot of, I know there's a little bit of a long winded answer, but I've said this to a lot of people in a lot of places that like, I'm really excited to be in Atlanta. I, I'm, this was truly the right decision for me. I feel very, very good about all of it, but I hate 
the, the reason that I'm here. I, 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 you know, I, I wish that that had not been the case. I wish it, it, it had been for many other reasons, except for obviously what, what transpired last year. And, uh, there, there's my, uh, I guess, yeah, but the Bob McClure Foundation is, is something that, you know, take a look at it. There's a website, they have a Twitter account. And if you feel so inclined, uh, you know, go and make a donation. Yes, please, please donate to uh, the Vaughn McClure Foundation. And I'll probably link to their website in the description of this episode. But 100%, I mean, journalism can be a very competitive, you know, <laughs> profession. But the thing that I loved about Vaughn was kind of off the court. He always made time to get to know everybody to make them feel special. I mean, I remember one time he told me he was just pulling out of the parking lot, rolled his window down and said that the way that I would kind of review game tape and, and try to break down what actually happened and ask questions based on like reviewing the game a second, a third time that it motivated him to start doing the same and that it was making him a better reporter and a better you know writer. And, and that just meant so much because I'm starting out in this industry and Vaughn was somebody that I read and looked up to. And then to, to have him just say that meant a lot and, and he didn't have to say it and it was awesome. So that's the type of person that, that Vaughn was, please please donate. Um, but let's pivot to the actual on-field stuff. Well, one more, but I say before we get there, yeah. just one more thing on that. Because that, you know, a lot of people will say that, right? And a lot of people will do mm-hmm. that. Like with Vaughn, it was legitimate. Yes. Like he, he read that, like just, I remember one of the last interactions we had. Um, so the Falcons were actually going to play the Lions that next week. And so we had been emailing because I had a podcast at that point uh, when I was covering Detroit and he, I pretty much had my ESPN counterpart on all the mm-hmm. time. And he was going to come down on and he was like, absolutely. And that was actually one of the last emails we had that. And uh, when he ran the Jerome, I think it was, it was Jerome Brown story. Yes. Yeah. I, you know, and we, I obviously retweeted that. It was such a, a well done piece. And he was so grateful and so thankful that I just like retweeted it. And I was like, bro, like, killed it. like you did such a good job on this like, he was so he was so nervous about that piece too i remember talking to him throughout training camp because he had spent so long like working on it researching it yeah. you know reporting it and then jaman got released <laughs> like the day before it was supposed to come out and he was just so upset because he was like i've spent so much time on this story and now he's not a falcon like what the hell am i supposed to do and I'm glad that he ended up ultimately being able to put the story out. But it was, it was so funny. I remember that vividly just because he was so proud of that story. Oh yeah, no, without a doubt. I mean, that, that was a thing with Vaughn. I mean, he's, he was, he's so good at his job and I, you know, you, you always wonder whether or not he realized how good he was at, at what he did. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, I mean, I, I think about him a lot. Uh, it's been, uh, it, it's been strange being in flowery branch because i'd never been to flower branch before <laughs> uh i drove when i was making the decision whether or not i want to take the job i drove up there i drove up there once just to understand the job Did not hit any traffic that day but it's <laughs> like you know someone was telling me to take a music didn't put the traffic there um and but it, it was weird the first few times pulling up because i was just like beyond the fact that i covered the lions for eight seasons and yeah. you know that was something I, like i was even thinking about it a little bit honestly today it still doesn't, it still feels a little weird. Like I'm just kind of placeholding, even though I know that mm-hmm. that's not, not the case, but anyway, um, 
yeah, it's it's going into settling what you're saying about settling in. It's it's been an adjustment, but it's one I've enjoyed definitely so far. Uh, even though the you haven't really seen all that much so far. Yes, uh, but that's awesome. Happy for you. Uh, let's get into what you have seen, and you know, just wrapped up OTAs mini camp. N- nothing happens in in OTAs or mini camp. It's it's frankly quite boring. Um, but it is somewhat exciting because it's the first time that you've seen football since the Super Bowl. Uh, what were your kind of like big picture overall takeaways? I'm not gonna you know like the who was the standout player, all that stuff because. Like Coach Arthur Smith said, you know, he's like this time of year, like that, that doesn't give you much information. So sure. big, big picture. What, what are you taking away from, from this period? I mean, here's a problem, right? It, it was hard to take away much because mm-hmm. they ran out of an OCA pace, even when they had mandatory minicamp. Calvin Ridley wasn't there. Yeah. Russell Gage wasn't there. Mike Davis wasn't there. So offensively, you're missing your two starting receivers, your starting running back. So it's tough to get a real gauge on on what that's going to look like. Right. They're working at a pace where the tempo was good as far as like the pacing of practice, but you can they weren't going like full speed more than a handful of periods throughout the entirety of all the OTAs in practice and practice and mini camp practice that I watched. So to get any sort of true gauge on anything yeah. is other than maybe some depth chart type things it was, it was really difficult. Uh, you know, I, I'm somebody who likes to take a decent amount of notes, especially early in training camp, mm-hmm. uh, during OTAs, during mini camp, even, you know, I, I, how everyone has their own system to take notes. I have my own system. I use numbers and, you know, basically diagrams and whatever. Uh, I found myself taking not as much just because there's not much you can glean about guys in shorts and, you know, and especially offensively, offensively, there was not much I felt like you could totally take away from a, like, what is this team going to look like? Because so many people weren't there defensively, you at least could get a feel of like, okay, who might be where, like, for instance, Fabian Moreau looks like a guy that could end up being a starter. We'll see what happens once training camp rolls around, but mm-hmm. he was certainly getting a lot of work with the ones on the outside. And, outside, okay. And, and that, that to me is something that, you know, he, he I don't want to say he was a standout. Yeah. Because but it's again, notable where he was. But it was, it was yeah. notable that I, I know I noticed him out there a few times. I'm like, okay, like now who knows what that looks like in August? Who knows what, what, you know, like he there today specifically. Monday, um, there was at least 20 guys. I don't want to put a firm number because guys shuttle in and out guys, you know, I might've missed somebody here or there because there's 90 guys. There were at least 20, maybe 30. It felt like guys out. And I mean, it was literally, you're looking at like, okay. So most of their starters aren't here. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt like a lot of first year, second year guys and free agents and DeAndre. Uh, but Deion, but Deion Jones wasn't there last week, you know, because he was excused for personal reasons. So I, to me, what I took away from it was, okay, you have an idea of this or that. Maybe you can see a couple skill sets on individual players, but even schematically tough yeah. to get a gauge on anything because 
a lot of what they were doing with seven on seven work wasn't, you know, full of an 11. You can't hit, there's no pads. And I don't think Arthur, you know, I think whatever Arthur Smith is going to do was, is not going to be, it's going to be basic stuff. It's going to be basic concept stuff. It's not going to be the intricacies yet because like, it's just, they just don't have the guys out there to necessarily do it. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember like last training camp seeing their cutter with the offense, like installing much more bootleg and play action than we had seen the year before. And I remember thinking like, Oh, that's, that's good. You know, they need to add some of this to the offense and that never even really bore out in the regular season. I mean, you're right. This is the type like football coaches like to install everything so that like they can kind of go to their bag of tricks late in the year. And if know that at least the guys practice this in training camp, but it's really the week to week game planning that they build throughout the week. That's when they like really practice what you're going to end up seeing on game day. And, and that's not stuff that the media is privy to. I mean, training camp can be very misleading and especially mini camp and, and OTAs oh, because yeah. You anyone who nothing. says that anyone who says like at a mini camp and OTAs, Oh my God, this is going to happen. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times and, and I'm guilty of it as well. You write like, oh, this guy's going to be a star of the hype train. Yeah. You he know? showed up in the best shape of his life. Oh, well, that, that yeah. everybody <laughs> Just, does. Except for me, I did not show up because of the heat in the best shape of my life. I was not prepared for the heat. We'll but get you into shape. In I know. I, form. I, I'm going to buy training camp. I will be in uh, the best shape of my life. But I, <laughs> the <laughs> you look at it and you're just like, you know, I mean, there are guys out there like, like Quadric, uh, like Olison, the running back, right? Yep. He he made an impression on me. Like I was like, but there's no hitting. There's yeah. no, you know, they, they did very few periods where it was eleven on eleven. So yeah, running like, okay. back, forget about it. Like it's so impossible. Yeah, oh, running back, running offensive back. line, defensive, really yeah. anywhere defensively except maybe corner. Yep. Maybe because like even safety, it completely depends on how they're being used, right? Yeah, like they're not maybe running down downhill and hitting somebody full speed, which is exactly like, how right. do you gauge Keanu Neal if you're not really seeing him do the things he normally would do in, in a game? That's yeah, I mean, like a guy, like a guy, like a and again, they didn't really go a lot full speed, but like a guy like Jerron Harmon, I would have mm-hmm. wanted to see Matt Ryan kind of test a little bit deeper because uh, on Deron Harmon, because that was one thing like last year. And I can use this because I watched Ron Harmon last year in training yeah. camp. Uh, and then during the regular season as well. But one of the things that struck, like struck me about Deron Harmon early last year in camp was that he had really good closing speed. And I wanted to see, well, okay, what does that look like right now? Because it was a rough year last year in Detroit. <laughs> and no, and you just didn't, you don't know how much of that was, Got you know certain guys maybe losing a step or like scheme that they were in or whatever, but Deron, that's one of Deron Harmon's strengths is he's able to you know make up ground if if a corner gets beat or if he gets beat like he's he's really good at that and uh you know you just couldn't even get that type of gauge um, yeah. so it, it was a whole bunch it was nice to be out there it was nice to see what maybe some guys could do. You can, you can start to see the relationship being built between Matt Ryan and Kyle Pitts. If, if you're looking for one thing that I think might be the most beneficial uh, in terms of the 2021 regular season out of minicamp and OTAs, it is that Matt Ryan and Kyle Pitts are able to work together with each other a lot, maybe even more so as far as like looks his way, et cetera, et cetera. 
because Calvin Ridley wasn't there. Russell yeah. Gage wasn't there. I did not see Hayden Hurst there today. So, like you, you get more of those reps. And I think that that is probably pretty beneficial for Kyle Pitts. And that, that to me, I think is, is where you can really see some value. And for some of the rookies, like Richie Grant getting out there a little bit, Jalen Mayfield playing, you know, playing out there on the offensive line a bit, even though you really can't do a ton of the offensive line, but it's reps. It's, yes. it's getting that familiarity. So for rookies, it's important, you know, but other than that, I mean, sure. <laughs> like take everything you take everything with like the grain of the finest salt you can find and understand it. But yeah. that is really what it is. Well, I think it's important that you brought up the, you know, the rookie stuff, because I remember hearing a story about um, like Julio Jones's first practice with with Matt Ryan after being drafted. And obviously, we all know the type of player Julio Jones turned out to be. And he's one of the all time greats. But essentially, he was just kind of running a, a post route, a stick route and turn like when he hit his his plant foot and he turned back before he could get his hands up, the ball hit him in the face mask. Matt Ryan had just anticipated much better than any quarterback Julio Jones had ever played with. And he got the ball out there with velocity. And for even a, a prospect as generationally gifted as Julio Jones, he got hit in the face mask with the first pass that Matt Ryan threw him because the NFL game is just at a different level. And so I think that you're spot on there, just getting those one-on-one reps uh, throughout the week with Kyle Pitts and maybe even more than he would normally get because you don't have Calvin Ridley or Russell Gage out there. That's, incredibly beneficial, but you know, I, I think a theme has been that Arthur Smith has said, even in minicamp, we're going to kind of treat it like OTAs uh, and yeah. be more on, on the install, be more taxing our guys mentally kind of trying to stay a little bit healthier. Do you think that a, given the fact that a lot of the veterans weren't there and you weren't really going to get a sense of what it was going to look like anyway, without those guys that, you know, pivoting to a more mental focus in minicamp with all of the young guys being available. Do you think that that was really the the choice that they wanted to make? And what do you think about how that's gone or what Arthur Smith has, has told you about the mental development of these young guys? I mean, I think it's smart because a lot of guys, a lot of rookies that I talked to, right, uh, over the years, and I've been, this is year nine covering the NFL, but I covered colleges for a long time before that. And I would talk to you know, and stay in touch with certain guys here and there. Yeah. That half of what they need to get up to speed on wasn't necessarily the physical running and jumping and part of it, because like that's their natural gift. They understand that. And like the speed's going to be the speed. And you realize it's a different level really quick, but you you can learn to adjust physically. It's the mental part of it that is so difficult to adjust to because you're not necessarily used to having a quarterback who can, like you said, anticipate like a Matt Ryan can, who can throw a guy open like a Matt Ryan can, who can make, I mean, obviously Calvin Ridley, Russell Gage weren't out there, but who can make cuts like a Calvin Ridley can. Mm-hmm. And, and like knowing that and understanding that and learning that mentally uh, is important. And that to me, I think is where that value is and something Arthur Smith would say over and over again. And I agree with them. I, I I've seen enough training camps and enough, OTAs to know is that the last thing you want to do is push guys in OTAs and minicamp, get a guy hurt. And that now that guy misses training camp when it matters, or that guy misses five weeks of the season or worse. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, why did I do that? Because at the end of the day, 
like the whole point is, Arthur's Smith said, the whole point is to make sure you're as healthy as you can for training camp. To me, though, the whole point is be healthy as you can for the start of the regular season. Yes. Especially if it's a veteran. Now, this year's maybe a little bit different because they are going to be installing a new offense and they are going to be installing a new defense and first year head coaching, first year head coach, first year general manager. So, you know, training camp's a little bit, maybe even more important now. Yeah. But on the whole, no, like you, you want to be as healthy as you can possibly be entering week one of the season. Like that's what matters. And that's why, you know, it, as long as to me, a guy is back two weeks before the regular season, I'm even talking in training camp, right? Um, that's what matters because a guy, a veteran yeah. guy probably needs two weeks, get amped up, get, you know, I mean, Trey Flowers, I think it was last year, two years ago, I forget what it was, essentially said that, yeah, like he missed so much of, and I'm obviously making a comparison to Alliance here, but he missed so much of training camp and, and off-season workouts that it took him time to get ramped up and get ready. So yeah. as long as, to me, you have that two weeks, maybe three weeks, guys know their bodies differently, obviously, and what it takes for that. That's what matters. Right now, if a guy's not practicing and OTAs are showing up, then does not matter whatsoever. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And it's, uh, I think last year, something that we saw was that even in a truncated offseason where guys didn't do the normal stuff, like I don't think the product took that much of a hit. I think football still looked like football. You know, the team that got hot at the end of the year went on a run, won the Super Bowl. I like it was normal. So I think the proof is also there that it's not as important. And I, I think Arthur Smith understands as all coaches do, I'm sure is that now with 17 games, like there's going to be some attrition that happens over the course yeah. of the season. And I agree full like heartedly with your belief in that just don't get hurt this time of year. It's not that important. I mean, we just talked about these guys are going against air in shorts. Like there's yeah. not much to learn. Just, just don't get hurt. Be healthy. I, for, I forget who said this to me. It was, it was a player at some point. He said, it's not always the best team that wins the Super Bowl is the healthiest team. Yep. It's a team that can stay the healthiest. And that that's something that has always resonated to me is that that's what matters is, is you know, you're able to stay the healthiest you're able to, because how many times have we seen a really, really good team that they lose two, three guys that week 15, 16, 17, mm -hmm. and it changes their entire dynamic. You know, I mean, sure, the Eagles lost Carson Wentz, Nick Foles, and, and end up winning the Super Bowl. So, but... Yeah. That's a rarity, you that's, know? That's the exception that proves the rule. Right. I mean, that and that, what, Jeff Hostetler back in probably before you were born in like the 80s, like, <laughs> you know, it's uh, like those, those are the two exceptions to the rule that stand out. But usually, like, that's the that's half of this game of football is. Yeah. And you see it in college football, too. Whoever stays the healthiest is usually the team, as long as the talent's there. Right. That, that, that ends up getting there. So why why put yourself in a bad situation? And, and I remember talking to uh, some rookies after, like late in the year and kind of talking and asking them about the rookie wall. Like, does it exist? And, and what do they think, you know, it plays into that? And a lot of them said, well, look, uh, like when you finish your final college football season, you immediately start prepping for the draft and for the combine. And you are just training harder than you ever would in a typical offseason. And then you finish that process and then kind of go right into summer workouts with your new team, OTAs, all of that. And they're like, by the time that you're finished, it's like an 18 month, just grueling stretch of physical 
taxing on your body. And that's where I think that's smart too, to give these guys a little bit of a break on, on the physical side here. Um, we got to wrap things up. So I'm going to get one final question, but what, what are some storylines now that we're kind of going to enter like a little bit of a dead period here on the NFL calendar? What are some storylines that you're interested in following over the next few weeks in the lead up to training camp? Uh, I'm really interested in following the storyline of my vacation and <laughs> the storyline of my time off. Uh, and a couple of fights. Uh, I cover boxing and MMA a little bit also, and a couple of fights. No, nice. uh, I mean, I, I think that theoretically, you know, I, I'll be curious to see if now that they have some cap maneuverability, if they so- decide to sign a free agent for training camp uh, at a gotcha. one position or another, maybe, you know, running back being a position, maybe that would make sense. Uh, anywhere on the defense, really, I think could make sense. Even, re- even receiver, frankly. If the right guys out there, a veteran guy could make sense. Um, I'd be watching that. May, you know, there was a couple guys, obviously, where extensions could come into play. Uh, notably, Calvin Ridley. Notably, Grady Jarrett. Uh, Grady Jarrett's got a couple years. Calvin Ridley also has a little bit of time, but you get the sense that, especially with Julio gone, that's guy a guy to probably want to keep around. So, you know, this is a time of year where maybe some of that stuff happens going into training camp. Uh, other than that, not much. I mean, it, it's, it's truly one of the, and I'm saying this knocking on every piece of wood I have, uh, one of the slower times in the NFL calendar. And, uh, you know, once training camp gets here, then it's kind of storyline after storyline. And, and to me, some yeah. of those storylines, you know, what is this offense going to look like? How is this team going to adjust? Meaning Ridley, meaning Gage, uh, you know, Hurst hits, you know, who fills that third receiver spot? Like, is that person on the roster right now yeah. uh, type of thing? You know, what, what is, what does that safety situation really look like it is one that's interesting to me because they have two reliable veterans on one-year contracts in Eric Harris and Deron Harmon, but they drafted Richie Grant and in the second round. So you have to think he's going to, they're going to work him in somewhere. And Dean Pease is known for using a lot of safeties. So like, how is all this going to work? And then, mm-hmm. You know, you got a guy like maybe Jalen Hawkins, who I think could be a pretty decent player. And, uh, you know, are they able to build depth defensively? Because that's right now, when I look at this team, the biggest concern, I think their frontline guys, their high-end players on defense are actually really good. Like your Deion Jones, Grady Jarrett's, uh, you know, if AJ Terrell takes that next step as a lot of second year corners do, but they, at every position, I think, on the defense, except maybe safety right now, you're an injury away from having some real question marks, uh, less so on the offense. Welcome so, to Atlanta. <laughs> right, except, I mean, really welcome to Detroit my yeah. last three years. I, I, the, the franchises are somewhat mirrors of each mm-hmm. other. It's kind of freaky. Um, I mean, I've covered three Pro Bowl wide receivers. Two of them got traded. One of them retired early because of massive injuries in Calvin Johnson. and. I think I've covered the only teams in the NFL that have taken tight ends in the top 10 yeah. in the last decade. And Eric Ebron, TJ Hawkinson, and, uh, Kyle Pitts. So, yeah. So I, you know, I, I but the storylines are to me, what does Arthur Smith's offense look like? How does this team move on post Julio? And, and can Calvin Ridley really be that number one slash who ends up being that number three receiver? And then defensively, what does that depth really look like? And how is ZMP's going to, use those safeties because I think those are the keys to this. And that's 
really what I'll be watching once training camp gets going. But between now and then, it's, you know, you keep an eye out for news, keep an eye out for extensions. And, and that's kind of where it goes. Vacation mode uh, settling in. I, I hope that you enjoy any of your travels. I hope those, those fights are, are great. Um, Michael Rothstein, please let everybody know where they can read your great work. Sure. Uh, you can read me at ESPN.com. Uh, just click on that Falcons team thing and uh, also, you know, like it, favorite it, uh, set it as a preference because then you get alerts whenever I write something. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Mike Rothstein, Instagram at Mike Rothstein, Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. Uh, those are only the only three social media I use at this point in time. <laughs> uh, I think I have others, but they're just more like I have them uh, and they're placeholders. But I try to be really interactive with fans. I try to answer questions as much as I can. Uh, once the training camp has started and, and the regular season, I'll probably do some Instagram lives, some Facebook lives. So feel free to follow me on there. Maybe we, I experiment with like the Twitter spaces thing at some point during the draft as well. So, you know, I try to be as interactive with fans as possible. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't have a job if y'all didn't have interest in the Atlanta Falcons and in, uh, the NFL. So, and I'm always cognizant of that, that I'm really a conduit, you know, at least part of my job is a conduit from, you know, fans to want to know, ask the questions that they want to really know. And, and I always kind of, that's been my approach when I ask questions. So that's kind of where I'm at. And uh, sorry, that's by my little spiel of kind of, you know, introducing <laughs> myself, I guess. But yeah, follow me and interact with me and I'll gladly chat with you about whatever. And uh, yeah, the look old- for food recommendations too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to have a separate podcast about the food stuff because I'm I'm a big foodie as well. But uh, glad glad we got the introduction there at the end. And uh, <laughs> um, this yeah. was a lot of fun. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time. We'll definitely have to do this again in the future. And I I hope you you enjoy some much needed downtime. Thanks so much again, Michael. Yeah, anytime. Man, well, that was an awesome conversation. I'd never gotten the opportunity to speak with Michael before, but uh, just an awesome dude. Uh, really excited to have him down here and covering the Atlanta Falcons. You obviously heard our thoughts on Vaughn. And once again, please go donate to the Vaughn McClure Foundation. I have uh, attached a link to their website in the description of this episode. Today's episode was presented by Bet Online. And I, I mean, you heard Michael and I talk about it. We're about to hit kind of a dead period. People are going on vacation. So going to be uh, some more interesting content probably coming from this podcast before training camp, uh, some different things. And please, if you enjoyed today's episode, uh, going to continue to have a mixture of interviews with insiders around the team, with some of my former coworkers, going to try and get a few maybe former players on here. Uh, and talk to them and just get the behind the scenes uh, look at what goes on inside of an NFL facility because it really is interesting from a day to day standpoint. I mean, on the one hand, not a lot happens, but on the other hand, uh, everything happens. So um, stay tuned for all of that. If you like the show, please subscribe, tell your friends about it, um, comment, let me know what, what I could be doing to get better. And as always, everybody, take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.